Welcome to this Jeremy Bamba and Whitehouse Farm podcast season two. My name's Emma Morris and I'm PR coordinator for the Jeremy Bamba Innocence Campaign. I'd like to talk to you today about how I came to look into Jeremy's case, why I'm satisfied he's innocent and how I became involved in the campaign. I've always been interested in true crime so I knew about the tragedies at Whitehouse Farm. I was a schoolgirl at the time and I remember the trial well. All the newspapers and TV reports and the drama of it all. We used to talk about the case at school, about what we'd read and how this murderer nearly got away with a perfect crime. That said, since school and Jeremy's conviction, I never really gave the case much more thought, other than when it would occasionally appear in books or on documentaries. Fast forward to 2018, 2019, My teenage daughter started to get interested in criminology and forensic science and started watching documentaries about true crime. We were watching the series Crimes That Shook Britain together. Jeremy Bamba was the feature in one of these episodes. And I remember distinctly saying to her, watch this one, sweetie. You will never believe what this guy did. It was all going as I remembered the case, the description of what was going on, what happened, and how Jeremy came to be convicted of murdering his family. But towards the end of the programme, there was a revelation. A telephone log of a call from Neville Bamba to the police, where he had stated his daughter had gone berserk and had hold of one of his guns. I just looked at my daughter and said, oh my God. I sat there for a while in disbelief. I was just trying to process what I'd just heard. Is this documentary really trying to tell me that Jeremy Bamba, the spoiled, rich, arrogant kid who murdered his entire family for the inheritance and blamed it on his mentally ill sister, actually didn't? And he was telling the truth all along? I really didn't believe it. How could somebody be convicted of five murders and be innocent? No, that doesn't happen outside exceptions like alleged IRA bombers proved innocent, like the Birmingham Six or the Guildford Four, or one-offs like the famous case of Timothy Evans wrongly convicted and hanged for murdering his wife and daughter. Outside of that, this sort of injustice just doesn't happen. Does it? So I started digging and digging and looking for confirmation of my belief that Jeremy Bamba must be guilty. Confirmation bias is a powerful thing. I would say, aha, but Sheila can reach the trigger with the silencer on. The evidence showed she actually could, but that no silencer was attached to the rifle when she was shot. That is according to world-leading ballistic experts. So I'd move on to the next point. Yes, but if no silencer was on the gun, then someone would have heard the shots. Sorry, but again, according to the experts, This has been tested, and no, they wouldn't. This specific rifle makes the sound of a sharp clap, and it would be impossible to have heard it outside of the house, or even in another part of the house. The more I dug, the harder it became to satisfy myself that a guilty man was in prison. All the questions I had where I thought it was impossible for Sheila to have done this because of a variety of reasons were answered. I liken it to an elaborate magical illusion that you watch in amazement and think, that is impossible. How on earth did they do that? How did they escape the straps that bound their wrists? 
then the answer is embarrassingly simple. The straps that bound the wrist simply had Velcro attached. That's this case all over, and it's all smoke and mirrors. It was impossible for Sheila to beat up Neville. It was impossible for Sheila to have reached the trigger to shoot herself. Well, the answers are embarrassingly simple. Sheila had a gun and shot and likely killed Neville before he sustained any other injuries. And she could reach the trigger very easily, as the evidence proved no silencer was on the gun when she was shot. Ballistic experts confirmed that one too. And what of his alibi? Being with the police while Sheila was alive and active inside the farm? The curtains opening and closing? Lights going on and off? The 999 call made from inside White House Farm at 6.09am. The officer who took this call was tracked down a few years ago by journalist Eric Allison, who asked him outright, Did you take a 999 call from White House Farm at 6.09am on the 7th of August 1985? His reply? If that's what the records say, then that's what I did. And he refused to elaborate any further. The fact the police stated that a female and male were found in the kitchen, with only a further three bodies found upstairs, and yet Sheila eventually died upstairs, making that one body downstairs and four upstairs. Rigor mortis not setting in with Sheila until many hours after everyone else. The police were in conversation with somebody from inside the farm whilst Jeremy was outside. The list just goes on. And this is all confirmed in the original police and home office files. Despite all the evidence I found that confirmed not only was this conviction unsafe, but this man was entirely innocent, I still ask myself things like, I wonder if he's taken a polygraph, surely he would fail. Then I found he had taken one and passed with flying colours. Ah, but what if he's a psychopath? They can trick polygraphs, right? More digging, only to find he's been extensively tested and is definitely not a psychopath, nor does he have any other type of mental disorder. I don't know why I wanted to ignore the evidence so much. I guess it was just the disbelief that somebody innocent could be in prison for years, decades, for something they didn't do. And something so horrible as murdering their own family, including two small children. Before looking into Jeremy's case, I was one of those people that believed if you didn't break the law, you had nothing at all to fear from the police. How naive was I? So there was genuinely nothing that pointed to Jeremy Bamba having done this, and everything that pointed to Sheila being the perpetrator. But that's not all. People often criticise Jeremy's behaviour, or what they think his behaviour was, that seems to have been sensationalised by the media, of course. So let's look more closely at behaviour. Important behaviour in relation to, say, the evidence Essex Police is refusing to disclose. Let's make this clear. Jeremy Bamba wants disclosure. He's been fighting for disclosure for decades. For example, he wants the tape recording of the call he says is from Neville to the police at 3.26am. Why on earth would he be fighting for that to be disclosed if it was his voice on the tape? Of course he wouldn't, and it isn't. That brings me on to why Essex Police and the CPS has fought disclosure tooth and nail, even ignoring court orders compelling them to disclose all the evidence in this case. 
why would they fight against disclosure of documents that cannot possibly be subject to public interest immunity? So, on the one hand, you have Jeremy fighting for disclosure of exhibits and documents that, if he were guilty, would significantly harm his defence. And on the other hand, you have Essex Police refusing to disclose these exhibits and documents. There can only be one reason. They know, and Jeremy knows, these documents do not support guilt. They know, and Jeremy knows, they prove his innocence. But their reputation and desire to continually cover up the corruption in their force and protect the perpetrators responsible for this terrible, unthinkable injustice is more important to them than the truth and ending the nightmare an innocent man has lived for nearly 37 years. By continuing to cover up this awful miscarriage of justice, Essex police are no less corrupt today than they ever were. The people of Essex should be outraged. The country should be outraged. This isn't just Essex police. We are seeing more and more examples of systemic corruption within the police and the British legal system and the resulting miscarriages of justice across the UK all the time. When I finally came to terms with the fact, and it is a fact, that Jeremy Bamba is innocent, I felt I wanted to do something to help or support him. But I didn't know what I could possibly do. I had no idea about miscarriages of justice cases or what I could do for somebody in that position. I remember discussing his case with my sister and quite coincidentally, she'd also been looking into it and had joined the Jeremy Bamba Justice Facebook group and suggested I join too. So I did. And that's when it all started for me, really. I joined the Facebook group. I continued researching as much as I could, asking questions of the campaign about things I didn't understand and started going to the campaign and supporters Zoom meetings. I offered my help to the campaign of anything they thought I could do to assist them and eventually they took me up on the offer and I started getting involved in social media and the podcast and just doing anything needed to help. Eventually, I was honoured when I was asked to officially join the campaign and I am proud to work alongside such amazing and dedicated people who selflessly give up hours of every day to help Jeremy in his fight for justice. And what about that arrogant, rich kid that I used to talk about at school? Even when I was satisfied of Jeremy's innocence, I still believed he must be an arrogant person as that's how he's always been portrayed. That didn't really matter to me. It was the fact that he was clearly innocent that mattered. His personality wasn't important. So when I first started writing to him to offer my support, I was, of course, expecting him to be arrogant. So I was a little apprehensive. Was he arrogant? That could not have been further from the truth. I literally do not know and I cannot understand where that came from. He's one of the most altruistic people I've ever come across and truly cares for his friends. But he also, quite rightly, wants to prove he did not do this awful thing to his beloved family. He wants justice. And he wants the freedom that was wrongly and so cruelly taken from him all those years ago by greed, jealousy and corruption. So, to end. Why should you care about Jeremy Bamba? What happened to him and what happens to him moving forward? But the truth is, you don't have to care. I certainly can't insist that you do. But what you should always remember 
what you should take away from the case of Jeremy Bamber and the White House Farm tragedies is that if it can happen to him, a man whose alibi is literally being in the company of several police officers, whilst the real perpetrator is alive and active inside White House Farm, then it can happen to you. You can join our monthly Zoom Facebook meetings, which have a first look at case material, presentations, guest speakers, legal updates and your questions answered at our official Facebook, Jeremy Bamber Justice Group. Thank you.